Hi, this is uh, uh, Bernard Rose. I'm the writer and director of this movie. Um, and I'm here on my own uh, to do this commentary. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, people always used to ask me if, if it was real and if you said uh, Candyman five times, whether or not he would appear. So I'm just going to get that out of the way before we start. And um, I will say it five times and we'll see what happens. So we'll try it, okay? I'm gonna get my mirror out, actually. I have to look at myself in the mirror and do this. You shouldn't do this unless you're looking in the mirror. <clears throat> okay, so, Candyman, 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 Candyman. All right, I'm gonna do it the fifth time. Candyman. Actually, I'm trying to uh, imitate Xander. Uh, but he couldn't be here today. What's up, Bernard? How are you doing? And this, of course, is Tony. Um, yeah, last name Todd. Uh, you almost ruined my middle name with this project, but here we are. What's your middle here, name? We, you, you know, we, we were talking earlier. Tyran. We were talking earlier Tyran. about... Tyran? Tyran. Isn't that strange? How did I ruin your middle name? Because I wanted to... The time just came out. I was debating, like, Anthony Richmond. You know what? Uh, Anthony's doing uh, Tales from the Hood, too. He's doing the camera work on that. Uh, yeah, Tony and I are going to do the grading on this. So if you're actually, yeah. if you've bought this disc, you've seen it graded by Tony and me, which is probably a bad thing, a good thing. Yeah, well, it's, it, I think it's been good for our careers in different unexpected and sometimes unwanted ways. Um, but overall, we survived. Look at those bees. I'll never forget those little bee fellows. Man, oh, man, oh, man. You didn't never got stung, did you? No, I just didn't mind. You didn't mind. That was what I the, thought it was cool, man. It was Norman, like macho. Yeah, Norman Gary, the bee guy, who was kind yeah, of a genius. Norman. He was um, great. He was a, a professor of entomology, mm -hmm. and he out of Sacramento, right? Uh, yeah. In fact, this this shot was probably one of the worst shots we did of them all against. This is just iron filings. Right, right. But um, the um. Well, why was that hectic? Uh, because it was actually swarm. a swarm, a real swarm to shoot against the sky. To actually make them do that, they get pretty aggressive. So Norman whipped them up and then He whipped them up. I mean, we, yeah, no one was around but me and Norman when we did that. But wow. um, the, uh, Norman, he, he worked That's with the a bees a lot and he, he had all sorts of wonderful things like the bee pheromone and he was kind of a genius with Yeah, them. he had his little tools, you know, like the ready vac vacuum cleaner just to get them off of me at the end. That's right. And he would paint me with the, with the pheromone, is it? Pheromone. Pheromone. Queen bee pheromone. Queen bee pheromone. So I thought it was a cologne, but it's obviously not. What it did is it allowed the bees to think that you were their queen. Yeah, they got all sexually Tony, you heightened, were right? the queen and bee. I, I was a queen bee, and they all just wanted to linger on me yes. and like, lick up the juices. I get it. Yeah. And only, uh, but to the audience, there's the great Ted Ramey, who I've seen several times on the convention circuit. You know, what's great about this, this is... Uh, every, what, five years is a new incantation of this movie? There is. So this is the 4K, which means the definitive HD 4K. Until ultra. they come out with the 8K. <laughs> so, but for now, we got the Ultra 4K. So what other perks do they get? I mean, for those, because people that are going to get this have already yeah. seen the film, I would yeah. imagine, right? What do they get? What do they get? I don't know. Um, I mean, how many, what is the watch rate? Can we talk about, did you see, maybe we shouldn't go there. No, 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 what? Tell did me. you see The Avengers, Infinity War? I did, actually, yes. I sat through two hours and 40 minutes the other day. Yeah. It was good. Um, 
next. No, I enjoyed it. You didn't like it? Um, I thought it was a little long, and I thought the good thing was that there was a sense of mortality at the end. Yeah. You know, the whole, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it felt finally those consequences to all the superheroics. I'd love to see your take on a superhero film. But I think New York Times says something about at the end of the day, you know, people are emitting different colors in their body parts and and hitting yeah. people with like excessively large objects. Um, I always loved Mark Ruffalo's take on the Hulk, but they yeah. didn't let him. They didn't really let him Hulk out this time. He was, you know, in that fragile kind of robot suit this time around. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, as an actor, what they're actually doing, they're in some Blu-ray, blue screen, green well, screen situation. I mean, look, that's definitely, by the way, I think that's something that's, I mean, look, it's 26 years since we made this film. Mm-hmm. And th- this movie is 100% analog in its technique, construction, method. It was cut on a flatbed. It was not cut it. on a computer. I love it. It was negative cut. And it, it was, was graded in the laboratory. Every single optical or effect is done in camera or done as an optical. Wow. And as a conventional optical, there's zero CGI of any kind or any kind of electronic interface, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, well, that's why it looks amazing, I think, and people, you know, treat it for certain reverence. And you can smoke indoors. Yeah, you can smoke indoors at a time and nobody frowned on you. Nobody, look, they're smoking in an oh, educational God. institution. Unbelievable. Wow. And you didn't have to get permission for that. No, I mean, wow. I used to smoke on airplanes in that era, didn't you? I, I used don't to remember smoke. that. The flight from like London to LA. You, you could smoke in 1992. The whole time, 10 hours in the back. Wow. I don't know. And so, stumbling across Virginia. Yes. How, how did that happen? I mean, was your how did Virginia first choice? Well, um, I mean, it doesn't matter in the no, no, order of things. No, because ultimately, these a, are the people that did the film. No, but, it's it's a, it's a good question. Um, I mean, uh, Virginia at the time I knew socially because she was married to my friend Danny Houston. Right. So who you worked with at least what twelve times? Many times. Yeah. But at this, at this, good to have a go-to guy. At this period in 1991, when we did the film, Danny was not an actor; he was a director, mm-hmm. um, and he had, had not been in any movies, and he, he d- didn't oh, really? want to be in any. He wanted to have a career as an actor. Virginia, of course, had just done uh, Dune. She'd done uh, The right. Hotspur. She'd done various kind of things. She was um, she was an up-and-coming. Actress at the time, you yeah. Know? Her name was there, and her brother was getting work as well. Michael. Well, he Reservoir Dogs mm-hmm. hadn't come out yet, which was of course. Was Michael. that his first film? Well, I don't know if it was his first film, but it was his big movie. Big film. Um, okay. And uh, so yes, um, she was. I knew her socially, mm-hmm. and it was one of those things where, when at the time, did, did, you know, did the film come up at a. Sc- you know, a supper party or something, and said, "What are you working on, Bernard?" And you say, "Well, I got this little thing called I don't know what I'm calling it yet." And she said, "Well, tell me more." Well, no, you know what we forget because now, basically, studios only make two kinds of movies: horror films and superhero films. But in 1992, the horror film as a genre mm-hmm. was considered very déclassé, mm. and actors were like, oh, uh, "How dare you put me up for this horror no. film?" I want to do a season of Richard III at the Old Vic. Yes, or at least Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> you know. Yes, I want to. I want to be in um, 
I want to wear flowy, frilling costumes, and I want to uh, whatever it was. Yeah, they didn't want to do horror films. Bees. They thought horror films meant getting their boobs out and getting mm. slashed because that's what it meant in the late nineties, early nineties. There was a lot of bad horror going around. There always is. Yeah, you know, horror. The thing about horror, and I think it's an interesting thing about the genre, is that the best horror films to me are the best films ever made, mm. and they're made by the best people, right. like Shining, well. Rosemary's Baby, mm-hmm. Hour of the Wolf, The Devils. Salo. Mm-hmm. These are films made by very important filmmakers, and they're great movies. Ken, what was it? Ken. Uh, Ken Russell. Thank you. The Devils. Russell, right. You ever seen that? That's yes, a fucking you masterpiece. Told me to watch it. What do you think? I loved it. Isn't that great? It has an epic scope and flow. And isn't Ollie Reed great in that film? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. man, he was the best. Yeah. Ollie Reed. So like, yeah. so there are benchmarks of great horror. Yes. Right. That were great movies, and, they're, great and, movies. and see, horror is an essentially cinematic genre because, say, like if, if you're making a comedy, mm-hmm. and it's not funny. What do you got? It's not an unfunny comedy. It's just a heap of useless shite because it's a comedy that doesn't make you laugh has no value. Same thing with a horror film that's not scary has no value. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing about horror films is that, you know, look, it's very easy to do to come up by, behind somebody and go boo, boo and make a loud noise, and they'll all go ow. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's easier now than it was then because the sound systems have improved. Back then you couldn't really do it because when you were dealing with the kind of sound systems that were available on a 35mm print with a Dolby mix, you couldn't actually make somebody jump with the sound alone. So, right. But so, now the whole now you, sound is like, you can make every creak. I loved seeing um, uh, In a Quiet Place. Yeah. Did you see that? I did see it. I, I loved it. Did you? Didn't care? You didn't like that? No, I enjoyed it. I thought it was well made. I thought it was for very me, well it made. It had too many serious logic problems. Well, yeah, but you couldn't look at it with a logic hat. You know, they got no, option. No, yeah. they, they got option to do the sequel now. Of course so they did. Know, Who am I to criticize? The film has made a fortune. It made a fortune, but I, I thought well made, I thought it was a, a fresh take on the monster. And uh, there was some ingenious, uh, like the, the whole soybean situation yeah. when the kids are trapped in that. I thought those were natural, horrific well, setups. You know, John Carpenter once said, and I think it was a very interesting thing, he said there were two kinds of horror. He said there was right-wing horror and left-wing horror. Mm-hmm. In right-wing horror, it's about the family fighting an alien outside force mm. that's terrorizing them and is other and needs Just to be these killed. other things. And it's, it's a f- form of... Its its message is essentially very right wing, and then there's the left wing horror, which is about the the victims' oppression by by the, the forces in society. And so we fall into the the left wing well, side yeah, with Candyman. I, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think. Well, you know, but I I don't know if that's completely fair mm. about in a quiet place because I, like I didn't realize that the two Krasinski and and uh, Blunt were married. I, and, I mean, I felt mm. there was a, a certain thing that you can't necessarily act going on between them in the film. But, uh, and then looking at this, okay, people can work in this industry yeah. and live together and work. And that's a, when that happens, is great because, you know, 24 hours a day is sometimes crippling. Yeah. But when, it's, uh, when it works... And I, and I like the I like the uh, the absence of uh, over dialogue also yeah. in the film. No, I mean look, there are lots of good qualities to it. Yeah, but and, you know, but but it may be unfair to put it completely in the right wing, such and things. By the way, I saw John Carpenter about uh, 
was it uh, for Monster Mania? Oh yeah, how Bus was he? He was great. He was uh, isolated and played. I, I love played the original Halloween. To me, that's as pure a masterpiece of the genre as you can get. Are you looking forward to this one? It's uh... no. Okay. Because I just don't care. Because the original is one of my. You number, don't care. It's one of my top experiences ever in a movie theater. Was seeing the original Halloween when it first came out, mm-hmm. and so like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever they do, it's like, that's my, I mean, you know, I'm sure it's fine for a younger audience, but not for me. Were you ever offered uh, to do one of those? How many sequels have been done? Yeah, I'm not a sequels kind of guy. I, I know you're not, but I mean, but yeah. you're a working director. No, that's sometimes true. I know, I've been... never. The, sh- the short answer is never. No. Um, no, no, the Friday the 13th? No. But, now, look, but you yeah, wouldn't have been interested. I'm just looking up here and I'm seeing a. Uh, Casey Lemons, who of mm-hmm. course became a very good director, mm-hmm. did, and did still you married see, um, to Vandy Curtis Hall. Is she still married to him? I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find out when this comes yeah. out. Um, no, they were a power couple for a no, long time. No, they were. They, they're knew, a good example of a power couple, aren't they? Then uh, I knew Vandy when he was in Dream Girls. You know, he was yeah. in the original Dream Girls, which is when I first moved to New York, and we couldn't afford to see a whole Broadway show. Yeah. So we would do the second act thing and go for the second act after all the bored socialites would leave. Yes. We had to run back to their babies or their mistresses or whatever. So that's how I got my theater in New York. But yeah, she was great. She was completely unassuming on this show she was, in a good, in a great way. But she was very helpful to me, actually, on the script because I ran. Oh, really? I didn't oh, know that. Yeah, no, no. I ran all the sort of racial politics past Casey. So you knew her before? Not really, but socially. But she, she, I, I spotted that. I, I didn't realize that at the time that she was a writer and she hadn't directed anything yet. But she, she's uh, just was very super smart about it all. And mm-hmm. I just. Ran it all past her, which was probably a very good thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you mean mostly on the scenes with her in Virginia? No, more to do about... with the stuff when they go to the project. And uh, the, like the difference between her as a middle-class person. So, and because, Vanessa, the other yeah, yeah. Vanessa's. For me, the whole thing, anyway, was more about... I mean, the original story, obviously, and the big was about class. It's definitely race. about class, yeah. Right, but moving it into this setting, it, it, it acquired a, a racial element as well, you know? Yeah, but I think in a healthy way. And it, exactly. I, I never, I never because it met... wasn't intrinsic to the story originally, I right. think. That's what's interesting about it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the fans that I come across, they don't really mention the race quotient. Mm. The smart ones do. The smart mm. ones who have written all the treatises and mm. uh, thesis papers, you know, mm. they all get the larger picture. But I think on a primal level, it's, I think they're drawn into these the two women's journey and as exactly. they go deeper and deeper into this labyrinth. Well, I think that, you know, I think what's interesting about the film is that it's, is that unlike a lot of films from that period in the sort of, uh, woke era, it still plays correctly. Did you say woke era? Yes. Of, okay. you know, we weren't using that's that phrase. It's a millennial then. word. Yeah, it I'm is very millennial. So yes. Mm. I, I know a few millennials. And looking back, <laughs> well, we all have children, <laughs> that's but right. looking back, um, you had certain millennial behaviors on set. We didn't know what to call it. I just thought you were a crazy coot. But, you know, with the hair twirling, you'd never do that anymore. Well, I know I do. It's just... Um, no, you used to do it continuously. No, I certainly haven't given up. Yeah. And by the way, Tony, yeah. I want to point out... At least you still have hair, which is wonderful. I have hair. Yeah. I have all my hair. Wow. Uh-huh. And it's Pratt not dyed. It. 
That's wonderful. Yes. So none of those chemical products you have to put in your hair, which looks instantly fake anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> poor guys that come in, you know, they think power meeting and they got like black ink on their earlobes. Yeah, it's kind of a problem, isn't it? It is. It's it like anything fake. When did you get it, rid of all your hair? Uh, when I realized it wasn't sticking around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I became the hat guy. So that's right, that's yeah. my that's I have like 40 hats that I collect and put on. But when we made this, I definitely had hair. You definitely had I hair. I think I lost it. You know, I was getting a lot of work during this period. Yeah. I think they were the waking up and no sleep and dealing with Hollywood and all that probably yeah. contributed. And then I was doing a lot of prosthetic works and other things like Star Trek and all that. Stuff's so, bad for your skin, right? Apparently. Apparently. My skin held up, but the head yeah. part, you know. Now, do you think it's true, and it was actually Orson Welles that said, mm -hmm. that the actors are neither men nor women, they're a third sex. What do you feel about that? Wow, that's an interesting thing. Because, well, I think what he meant was that was however a macho an actor you are, you still yeah. get your eyebrows plugged. Well, there is a certain demasculine thing of sitting in the makeup. That's right. But also, to, I think you have to be also, in touch with the feminine side of yourself to, to access I think that seasoned stuff. actors, like, I knew that I'd been in this business for a minute when after shooting, you know, there's a lot of work going on in Atlanta these days. Yeah. I mean, like, it's the second biggest field. All the superhero things are shot there, blah, blah, blah. I just, I did four projects in the last year. But when you're been in this business a while and you finish a 12-hour day and it's been working in, say, a junkyard all night, yeah. and you actually go back into the makeup trailer and say, can I have my hot towel, please? And do you have any extra moisturizer that might be good that has some goat glands in yeah, the yeah, eye? Yeah. You know, so, yeah, there is a... The best actors, I think, are aware of the totality of humanity. You know what I mean? So, and, so you'd agree with Austin. It's like a third sex. Yeah, but that's a dangerous word because that leans people into thinking that you're talking about some weird algorithm, and that's not what we. No, mean. I'm not talking about yeah. actually. I'm yeah, not talk, I'm, I'm not talking about in in a sort of gender fluid sense. I no, mean, in a kind not of emotional pansexual way. Yeah, no. exactly. No, but I think that acting is based on ego, and the most you know secure ego and being mm. aware of your placement in the world. So this scene, of course, is. Uh, stayed with people forever because we were at the real Cabrini Green. That's real, yeah. That's You can't fake that. You can't make that. Some of these young men are actual gang members. They, they were, the, the ones in that shot, are, they are, of course, looped by loop group. Of course, but you can tell that the realness of the walk and the Oh, they're real, yeah. The, 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 cost, the clothes and the colors are not You could real. smell it. And then, like, I don't know how much art decoration no, stuff you had to real. do here. Right here, real. this is real. All that is real. No added situations. Uh, but when they come around the corner, it's the set. Now, that's now, you real. Know, I grew up in a lower middle class neighborhood, but I, I grew up in a house, but yeah. right on the corner was a project. It was called Bevue Square. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, one of my best friends in high Which school, city was this? Hartford, Connecticut, yeah. lived there. His name was Sydney. And uh, I remember one night, you know, we were experimenting with drinking beer out of bottles and stuff. And we came around the corner to this gang called the Emperors. Oh, yeah. And I tried it. I didn't know what they would want it, but my stupid son, I said, that's my buddy, man. He didn't do nothing to the window. <laughs> <laughs> he had nothing to do with it, right? And the next thing you know, clock. It's the only time I've been jumped in my life. Really? And, and I remember hearing somebody said, that's my brother's friend. Don't hit him with the pipe. Right? And I woke up in the hospital. 
And I think uh, that whatever reason, when I watch this, it brings back memories for me of that thing where anything can go wrong when you turn around the corner, but also my longevity in this business because anything had happened that night, I could have whatever, you know, but it made me a stronger person afterwards. Yeah. I hope so. And it never happened again. No. Yeah. This was all set, of course. This is in the studio, right? This is in the stu- We built this. This is over in Occidental. This is over in Occidental. And, and wasn't Occidental Studios owned at one point by Charlie Chaplin? Uh, no. no. Charlie Chaplin Studios, the one on La Brea and Sunset, that's now okay. owned by the Muppets. All right. Actually, right, I know what you're talking Hansen. about. Yeah. yeah, where they had the gateway. Yeah. But what was Occidental? Well, Occidental actually was Mary Pickford? Chaplin. I think Occidental was the oldest studio. It does date from the silent era. Right. It wasn't owned by Chaplin. I think it was Chaplin worked in there before he had enough dough to build his own studio. Okay. And then he built the studio on La Brea and Sunset. Didn't I hear Pickford's name associated yes. with it at one point? Well, I think they shot a lot of um, a lot of the old early silent movies. Silent movies were shot at Occidental Studios. Well, I remember our right. dressing rooms there. We weren't in actual, you know, buses or caravans, That's and right. we, we had, had the suites. Yeah. yeah, it was great, it was and nice, I could feel the history. You could just feel Hollywood screaming through it. Now, I remember when in when we when we did the set. I remember there was a huge problem with the way it was put together when I, I went in the studio and, and I remember throwing a, a, a hissy fit and demanding they, they they rebuilt it by the next day and leaving the studio. And You went to that third sex thing. I did. I went to that third sex thing and getting myself in a whole heap of trouble. Oh, no. Do you remember that? No, I was. They kept, they kept that they part kept away that from me. Come on. But, I knew, but when I look at the scene, it was very important. I it was all you. to do with how the mirror... Connected to this, connected to that bit. If it wasn't right, you couldn't it, do the scene. But because I, the whole thing that's grabbed people's imagination of it, these condos, apartments, have yeah. connective tissue from one that's to the right. other. The architectural which is design was very important. Very in the important. Film, the way that they all mirrored each other. But um, and had you worked with uh, Anthony Richmond before? No, no. But actually, the reason I I picked Tony to the film was because um, Tony had been. The camera assistant originally from a, from a very good friend of mine, Nicholas Rowe. That's right, man of films. Yes, and Tony, of course, shot D- Don't Look Now, one of the greatest horror films ever made. I didn't and, know that. Oh yes, was that with uh, Donald Julia? Sutherland, Donald Sutherland. Christie? That's right. A flat-out masterpiece. Mm-hmm. If you've not seen that, turn this fucking film off now. Get Don't Look Now and watch that instead. Go to our inspirations, and then and after that, you can always go to Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, you mean Frankenstein. I mean the bride. Of, oh, you I mean, mean the, our Frankenstein, and then the bride. You mean of Frankenstein. the James Whale, of course. Yes, yes, I mean that. Yeah, um, but um. Oh, by the way, mm. uh, are you still on Twitterverse? Yeah. Sort of. Okay, there's this kid, and God bless him. You know, I know he means well, but I know he's been sending you sketches uh, for the bride of uh, Candyman. Um, I Have t- you seen that? No, I don't take any notice of that stuff. <laughs> I'm afraid. But I think he's, you know, special in the way that he's been handling it. And it's always flattering when somebody uh, looks at work with a new simplicity. No, it's you know it's it's great. Let me tell you, Tony. As you know, I've he tried... draws me as a big egg, for yeah. example, with two pencil Let's... sticks for legs. I'm going to take check that out. Check it, it out. Good. It's wonderful. But he's been sending. He's been tagging you. Okay, I have not been looking at that. I yeah. will. Yeah, I mean, I I pass through it. I pass by it. I see it, and I, I he's been involved in this for over a year. Really? Yeah. Wow. But he hasn't gotten past. You know, 
his first impressions. Well, I mean, I have to say, but it's just a dedication that the, they exhibit. The, 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 the people who, 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 the powers that be that own the, the copyright to this, and the copyright for this film has passed through many different hands. Uh, isn't it with Universal now? No, it's actually owned by MGM. See, really? Yeah, Are you really? sure? I know, I'm sure. 100% sure. I heard that it was bundled up with all that collection stuff that Universal was no, doing. No, that's cause... correct. That's in, ter- in terms of this movie, but in terms of the remake rights are owned by MGM. Oh, okay. And they, and they are busy trying to develop anything as long as it's nothing to do with me. That's basically... Wow, what did you have... do? What? What did you do? Nothing. <laughs> I made the original film. I made, but I want them to remake it or make another one so I can get a bunch of great of reviews course. that say not as good as the original. Ah, you have devious plans. And get plans. paid. But I thought you were uh, possibly toying with an idea of writing one your own. No, I wanted to, but it's I, just I, I looked difficult? into the rights, but no, they they just have no interest, Tony. Okay. They don't want In us. In what? In us? No, they want to exact none. None. They want to... If they do it, they want it fresh and... That's right. Okay, well, that's good. Okay. But if they do that, they need to work with people that can tap into whatever it is that made it work in the first place. Well, it's much more complicated than people think, which is why... Yeah. Because if you just do it surfacely, you're going to miss the point. Yeah, exactly. And it, and I think that's always... That's, it's a much more complex... You know, I think... And that comes down to the original story, too. The original story is a very complex story. Yeah. And the stuff that the Clive wrote. And, yeah. you know, and you have to give that to Clive. Cause Absolutely. All this stuff, all these scenes are actually straight out of Clive's story. Mm-hmm. When they when they go there and they meet the mother and the young child. The late... The, 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 yeah, the, this is all directly out of the short story. I mean, the short story was originally set in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So... It's tonally very different, but in terms of the the narrative, it's the same. Now, you know, 15 years ago, I would have been very sad with the revelation that you made that if they do this again, they want to do it without us because I was so connected to this yeah. character and the experience that I couldn't even foresee that. Now, I mean, it's still... It's not like the best thing to hear in a day, but it's not like the end of the world. Like well, I would honestly, Tony, I mean, I seriously considered doing it again, but when I actually really thought about it, I thought, you know what, it would be hard because there'd be a part of me that would just want to go do something way off. I mean, even when I, I mm-hmm. you know, I wrote the sequel to this, mm-hmm. and I handed it in, they just, they just went, they rolled their eyes. What can I tell? Why you? did they roll their eyes? Um, because it was about Jack the Ripper. And he's. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's a good so script. you, t- yeah, but was it, why didn't you just say that this is another script that's not Well, then they Candy tried to Man. set up, but it never happened. It, it, they should have made it Candyman. But I, I, what, what, did you, didn't you have something to do with the uh, the Midnight Murder Train? <coughs> the, the, yes. It was also an adaptation of that story. Okay. But in my version, the climactic scene was um, was this tube train full of murdered bodies hanging like meat. Mm-hmm. Going through the thing, went to a secret underground station underneath back Buckingham Palace, mm-hmm. where the Queen was going to have a a banquet where she dined on on naked murdered prostitutes. Mm-hmm. That was the climactic scene. Yeah, sounds Shakespearean. It was great. That was the sounds end of my a involvement like in the this Scottish shop, play. This, that was it. That was that the was end. it. So was it? You thought that those ideas to the executives at the time were too far-reaching? Well, actually, or the guy who was in charge of it at the time, Michael Cooney, who's still a very good friend of mine. Okay. Um, I remember he read the script, and I said, what did you think of the script, Michael? And he said, he told me he was on a plane when he read it, and he said, and he nearly threw up. Hmm. And I said, but isn't that a good sign? Wow. 
but no, no, people don't. You know, one of the things that I feel about horror now is that it's, it doesn't want, they don't want to disturb. That's why, you know, they want to, it's all a bit, yeah, let's have a little scare, but let's not actually go underneath and, and, and no. disturb. Well, and this film was trying to disturb because I was trying to get at the things that are, that are unpleasant. What, what mm-hmm. we really fear, what we really fear is that, is that there's poverty there that's, that's, and, that, and that it's dangerous. Right. And that, and that, and that, and that one day it's going to come back and bite us in the ass. Well, isn't that similar to some of uh, America's thinking today in terms of the building the wall problem of keeping out the outside, the you unknown? Know, there's a, there's a, the forbidden. It's a cyclical thing, Tony, that what happens is, you know, it's ever since the Industrial Revolution, you have this situation where, where the wealth, once the wealth gets too concentrated in the one or two percent at the very top, mm-hmm. then essentially the one or two percent become afraid of their own populations. Right. And that's the world we're living in. Yeah. And so they, find, they try and find ways of appeasing them. And one of the ways that they can appease them or control them is to have them fight each other. Mm-hmm. It's always, it's a traditional. Yeah, it's divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And, you know, or, or just engage them in some way or, that, if or, you, or start a war. If course. you convince yeah. people that may look similar to you that they have every opportunity that you have and you know damn well that you're part of the 2% that has it all. That's right. Uh, then we're in trouble. That's right. But that's uh, why now, they're, now they're, their new what, way of social control is, is the so-called, um, you know... Uh, well, I think partly it's a just completely get everybody involved in social media to such a degree that they, they think that if they've, they've, it out. they've put an angry tweet out that they somehow protested, they've done nothing. They've just made they've, a fool of themselves. Yeah, or they overreact to something that's you know the Twitter. You got to navigate Twitter very carefully, and I've been able oh, yes. to do it correctly. I don't pay attention to any negativity. I don't either. I focus on positivity. I never give my opinion. If, if you have my opinions, my God, you'd be shot. <laughs> they, might have to, <laughs> they might have to shut the system bandango oh, down. Oh, my God. My goodness. No, it's, uh, but, you know, unfortunately, we need things like, like, I've, I don't do Facebook because I won't, I don't really want to see. I deleted my Facebook, WhatsApp, too. and Instagram mm-hmm. because I don't want to have Basically, the FBI knowing every single thing that's well, in my computer. As soon as you, as soon as you set up your new smartphone, they put on the access location. They know exactly where you are right now. Like well, n- uh, never mind that. Tony. The, the audience out there knows where we are right now. We're doing commentary for a film that has affected people in a look, deep degree. This is a green card, and even look what it even says on the envelope. Basically, it says that they can hack into your green card. Basically. Basically, you have a a fucking tracker on you, Karen. Can I read that? Yes, you can. I'm going to read this in the commentary because this is similar to Granville, you know, Candyman's uh, character. We recommend the use of this envelope to protect your new card to prevent wireless communication with it. Hmm. It's a card, Tony. Recomendendos el uso de esta. Interesting. But, like, we all have these passwords through our current life, you know, uh... You know, like I was at a great restaurant recently and I noticed it was like all these groups of five sitting there and they weren't talking. They were all on their phones. Yeah. You know, which is kind of sad. I don't know what the equivalent. And I no, we didn't have it. We would bring I would walk around New York City with bongos. And really? if I ran it. Yeah. And if I ran into a fellow artist or somebody that had studied uh, 
some method stuff from moment to moment. I said, hey, you got a bongo too? And next thing we'll end up on Rivington Avenue, mm. jamming the night, but somehow communicating person to person. Yes. You know what I mean? It was a great time. Well, I mean, that's it. Personally, but I think that as people, people will not necessarily just accept it. I think people will reject that and go back to personal experience. That's well, why people like live shows now. They want, they want, they want some experience that's not canned, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, and also that's why reality TV is taking such a stronghold on, on, uh, on social consciousness. I mean, like they got shows about moonshiners, for God's sake. You know, facets of life that until now have never been exposed, but now everybody, as Sly and Family Stone once said, can be a star. Well, this kid was wonderful. Was oh, he's name? great. Dijuan? Dijuan Guy. Yeah. His name was. He was fantastic. He really was, natural. Uh, they had a wonderful report together. So is he 40 now? <laughs> That's always the awful wow. thing with these movies. How old is he now? Well, we were, was... we were talking about how many years has gone by because, you know, we went through that whole 25th anniversary a couple of years ago, mm. or a year ago. Uh, so what's the next milestone? 50th anniversary? They will us both out? I have, I, will you have anything to say at that point? I have nothing to say now. Uh, no, you do. You know, they wheeled me out, and they put me in the bed, and I stood there. <laughs> By the way, just coming up here. What a face. That's, that's a, you know, Virginia just looks so much like Rita Hayworth in this film. Mm. I mean, she looks so gorgeous. I love the way she looks in this movie. Yeah, really a lot do. of that was hypnotism, too, though. No, she just has no, a real classic a movie star face. Absolutely. I mean, you know, without makeup. Without, without makeup, any, without excessive going to the like gym. Like just in a, in a duffel coat. She looks fantastic. Yeah, you know? natural. Yeah. And I know she was adamant. I remember asking her, she never worked out. You yeah, know, She I wasn't like, like body her. conscious and all that. She was just natural. She's, you know, she was great. I think she's, she's very Beautiful. underrated. I, I loved her in Sideways, too. Did you see that? Yeah, I love Sideways. I didn't see it when it first came out because I, I, I waited, but I thought it because I wanted to disconnect from public opinion. It was great. But, you know, Virginia is an actress. Uh, she's, she's always working, uh, and I'm sure she's in a level where, you know, she's, she's not necessarily going to get mobbed in a mall. Mm. You know, who wants that? Like, that was one of my contentions about the whole superhero phenomenon. I can't believe they're 19 in. But those guys, th there's no privacy in their lives. I mean, they're, yeah. so, they're so huge. You know what I mean? And I, I, I don't want to order my groceries online. And I don't want to no. have a personal shopper. Or this, I'm not, not that I'm saying. I mean, everybody wants some degree of fame, and we have that. But to have a mega fame? Oh, I couldn't stand it. No, no. I, mean, I, I mean, to me, I, I value... Being basically anonymous. I mean, having you're having your privacy. Way less anonymous. Yeah. And also, but I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, the idea that, that you would, you couldn't go and just about your business. No, it can't be. Horrifying. It certainly couldn't. Well, we we have a president now that doesn't get it completely, but you can't just tweet whatever you want, you know, in the beginning of your day. It doesn't work. Well, not everybody's, you know, it's so, I, you know, I have a whole theory about that, and it kind of yeah, relates no, to it. Yeah, no, we shouldn't. Which uh, is, no, but it's what it's interesting, I think, because to me, I think somewhere around the mid-'80s, it was like fame could no longer be just a positive thing. And I think, I think Michael Jackson embodied that better than anybody, because mm. at a certain point, they could no longer write 
He's the greatest pop star. He's the greatest dancer. He had to be He's how the greatest singer. They eccentric had, he was. Yeah, there was no way you could sell a magazine anymore by right. saying that he was the greatest because he was. Yeah. So well, they had to start finding they, all the shit about him. And there was and so was, much. Every week there was something on the pages of all those tabloids. And it got more and more and more and more extreme. But even before it got crazy, like yeah. I remember being in school at Hartman at the uh, Gene O'Neill Theater Center and uh, reading the New York Post for the first time. Thinking, yeah. Yeah. of it is a big comic book but on page six i swear every day it was him or elizabeth taylor and, and them together, together. yeah yeah <laughs> and they, then there then there was the monkey that's right it was like just bizarre bubbles. behavior bubbles bubbles and neverland i mean in all respect to the genius that was michael because i remember when jackson five came out mm -hmm. and i want you back came out and i was in middle school and all my friends would gather around on this 145 and we played it continuously a hundred times yeah while we put biscuits in the oven and poured honey over it and like stuffed our faces but we were mm. just so happy that this kid who claimed to be 11 years old had a voice like that but then as we got older or he got older it became about the monkey and, the and of course, in the end, the, the pedophilia, you know, and and you know, and you, who knows what was real and what wasn't. But it was it the idea that this prosecutor was trying to make a name for himself yeah. by pursuing those. Well, those, it's, the, know. it's you know, we like to destroy the celebrity that we build up. Like, regardless of what you feel about Bill Cosby's current situation, yeah, I mean, but just the fact when that guilty verdict came out, you know. America, the world, followed the whole journey of Bill Cosby, the pudding pop guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the family man, the Otto dad, the Van mm. Albert guy, right. you know, and then all of a sudden, in one word, it's brought down to human scale. So is that what the pursuit of celebrity really is? Well, they to did build it to Chaplin, up? don't forget. Huh? Chaplin was accused, he was accused of transporting a minor over state lines. Uh, the, I remember that. And he was eventually thrown out of the country for being a premature anti-fascist. That's what they said in the 50s. That's how they because he made that film about Hitler, uh, The Great Dictator. But uh, he made it in the 30s. Right. So they said he was a communist. They kicked him out of the country. Yeah, but the movie is now regaled as one of the great film. I mean, now no one can remember this unless you know a lot about film history. But Chaplin yeah. was brought down... Well, I know you do. ...just as much as any of these people were and is just as important as film history or television history as any of them were. Certainly. So you, what you have to say is it is... The, the idea that your heroes have feet of clay is a kind of human desire. Tell me about that actor that uh, pretends to be Candyman. Oh, yeah. How I, did you find him? He was someone brought in by the casting director, and I, I'm ashamed to tell you I can't remember his name. And that's what I was going to get to, because he does a good job. Mm. And I wonder why I never, ever see him at, uh, you know, what became of him there. I never see him at a con or the con. Are you doing cons still? How did that work out? What do you mean? Are you doing those appearances and you no, know? Can't. No, I haven't. I haven't been to one recently because I've been in Japan been in shooting Japan, my shooting samurai your, movie. Your epic. Yeah, but Another um, period epic. You mean you're talking about this dude, right? Yeah, yeah, him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened to him. But now that's great makeup, by the way. Yeah, it is. Now Bob Keane, who did the prosthetics makeup in this film, uh -huh. was a very interesting man. But as my memory of him was that he was quite a substantial man. And he got the worst food poisoning about halfway through the film. Oh, no. And he took a week from off. From our set? I don't know where he got it from. <laughs> and he turned up about two. He took. He had to take like a few days off. And when he came back, I swear he'd lost like 100 pounds. Oh, my God. And I thought, I wish I, wish I knew what he'd ate because I'd like to eat some of it. 
this gentleman here, Gil Moses. Yeah, what happened a, to him? He was well. He was a famous uh, acting coach. Yes, he he's great, the by the way. Negro Ensemble Company. Really? Yep. Is he still alive? I'm not sure. He's well, wonderful. You and I are here. Exactly. We're still ticking. Most of the people on this film are still alive, which is actually pretty good going after 26 years. Yeah. I mean, at least all the principals, mm-hmm. as far as I know. I mean, I've seen even most of them recently. Xander, yeah. Ted. Xander is down in Atlanta, right? He is. He's on um, uh, Evil w- Dead. Not Evil Dead. Um, TWD. Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, this guy was a great actor, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. They, uh, yeah, they, you know, I know you didn't care about for the sequel, but, you know, they had Bill Nunn in a similar type of role in the sequel. Yeah. And it's important to balance out with the char- Candyman character. Yeah. So that he's not all evil. Because what I wanted people to take away from it was why he was a vengeful specter. Yeah. Uh, not, not the deed itself. Uh, I never saw him as a negative character. No, and I know you had some rounds and toe-to-toes at the NAACP about this, but... Only before the film came out, never after. I read the script, and I never didn't... I I Mm. thought it was a a, a, a title character. I thought it was... I thought he was more related to a Phantom of the Opera. That's absolutely right. To me, he's a tragic hero. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think... You had to have... And I know, you know, one of the things I have is sad eyes or whatever, which comes from an old spirit, you know, being able to tap into those things. What is your family history, Tony? Where where, where are you from, basically? Uh, My American side, people were from South Carolina. Wilson, South Carolina, which means that there were two or three generations of slaves before and sharecroppers. Yeah. But I've been blessed to be able to work in Africa, like, four or five times. Yeah. And just, you know, going back to the mainland. It's interesting. Uh, You know, white Americans Mm. uh, have a tendency to think the world from their point of view. The first time I went to Kenya, and as soon as I Mm. got to the airport, it was like, imagine, if you will, a completely reversed situation where the flag has a black man on it. Mm. Most of the people are black. Mm. The money has black faces on it. Mm. It was like walking in reverse. Now, we are accustomed, and as a black African-American growing in this world, I know that I'm only 15, 16%. The cultural force is a little bit more dynamic than 15, 16%, mm. but it's a world where everything is reversed. Imagine that. So, ideally, you want a world where people respect that there are differences, you know, like their friendship, Vanessa and, um, I mean, not that Vanessa, Casey, Casey and, and uh, Virginia, they're different, but it's the differences that make them unique, you know? Well, I mean, look, everybody's, um, you know, in the end, in America is a kind of mongrel, right? Absolutely. A bit of this, a, a bit, bit of that. Bit of, come on in. Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired. I mean, you're humble. My family. I think the whole. For me, the stupidest thing in the world is nationality. There he is. There the he is by the way. Yeah. Great Leonard. I remember Leonard. Leonard Pollock. Pollock. It's actually a great costume, you know. Yeah. And it really. He had elements. He had. It was turn of the century. 
I love the uh, herringbone pants. Yes. The fur had flashes of black exploitation, but not completely. Um, well, it was meant to be an opera cut. It was never meant to be like. A... No, no. He... Yeah, no, he had that, and and he had uh, the frame. I mean, this is one of the most powerful scenes in the film, and one that people love. One of the things about this scene to me that was important was that it happened in the day. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to remove the yeah, idea that there was a, a safe a space. man kind of thing. Yeah, I wanted to remove the idea that you were safe anywhere or any time. In fact, he right. always appears in the day, if you think about it. Right. He doesn't come at night. No. He's asleep. And he only comes when he's talked about. Exactly. He only comes when he's called. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really like the lighting here, by the way, <coughs> just on her, the way that, that Tony did that. Because, you know, as I said, Tony was... Uh, an apprentice to Nick Rogan, they were both on uh, Dr. Zhivago. Oh, wow. And actually, Nick got fired off Dr. Zhivago by David Lean and replaced by Freddie Young. Wow. And, but this sort of, the sort of light in the eyes like that with the, the rest of the face shaded, if you look at that's very much the way that Julie Christie's close-ups are lit in wow. Dr. Zhivago. You didn't do anything for my eyes on this side. I'm jealous. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you spend like 10 minutes on Virginia after we've already established your character throughout the film, and you had to linger more. Come Look on, at this you, poor nice guy. Look up. at this poor guy. He just yeah. walks into the frame, and who am I? Am I the title character? I don't know. Now you we'll see what happens. So you want to talk about the, why her eyes are fluttering and why you cut the bees here? Um, you know, it's... it's I think this is sort of the, the point where um, the film, you know, as it were, becomes... It's a turn. ...an unreliable narrative. We don't really know what's happened. Mm -hmm. But I, I always viewed the film as very much from her point of view, so it's just, it's just her version of events. Right. I make no comment as to... Counterpointed with... The rest with of it, yeah. Evidence. Now, have you, I know you were doing a whole tour with the Alamo Theatre Group. And those good people that oh, yeah, saw yeah. big fans of your work and of this film and yeah, yeah, yeah. Of Frankenstein. Uh, you did almost all of them, right? Not all of them, no. How many did you do? I don't know. I can't it was a while ago. Was it a blur? Yeah. No, it was like a year and a half ago. Yeah. I can't remember how many exactly. Not that many. But you had live audiences, yeah, right? Yeah. And your Q yeah. days. And people were always fascinated. For the it, most part. I you know, you never know what's going on in Q and A's. I mean, like, like how many? I find Q and A. Do you find Q and A's weird? I think they're weird because here's the thing: that unless you get somebody who really wants to like ask something weird, the question's always a little dull. Hmm. Unless you want some, unless you get somebody who's trying to cause trouble, and then it's weird then for it another takes reason. Another turn. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, well, this whole evidence, evidence shot. She actually has the cleaver in her hand. And all of a sudden, she's immersed in what it feels like to be called guilty. I mean, this is the, I mean, you could say this is kind of a standard Hitchcock trope where the innocent person is wrongly accused. It's the wrong man. It's he, he strangers did, on a train. Yeah, he, he did it in uh, Frenzy. Wrong man. Yeah, I mean, mm. it was kind of kind of go-to trope of his. I don't know if I was consciously doing that. This was the first script I ever wrote, you know. Didn't know that. I, no, did I ever tell you about, I mean, the, the stupid, I was, I was in L.A., I, um, 
I was I was kind of broke. I was looking for work. And well, we've all been broke. And um, can't do great art unless you're broke. No, that's right. And I and I'd met Clive when I was shooting um, this film at Pinewood Studios, and we'd had lunch and mm-hmm. gotten along quite well. I think he was doing Nightbreed. Okay. And um, uh, I'd read this story, Forbidden, and I was about, I had to I had a meeting actually to go in and see Steve Garland at, at uh, Propaganda the next day. Mm-hmm. And I'd read this story, and I just called up Clive like the day before, and and said, you know, I read the story, I'd like to pitch it. What do you think? And he was like, yeah, go for it. Uh, and so I went into Propaganda and I pitched them basically this film. And they mm-hmm. were like, yeah, let's do it. They, they, Garland was very, um, he was very receptive. He liked it. He wanted to make a deal right away. So, wow. And he said to me in the meeting, um, who's going to write it? Are you going to write it? And I needed the money, so I just said yes. I'd never actually written a screenplay. Wow. And I mean, when I say never, I mean never. Never. I'd never done it, but I thought, fuck, it's the best way to get paid. Mm-hmm. So I said yes. They made a deal for me to write it. Quite a, an okay Generous. deal. Mm-hmm. Certainly a very good deal for someone who'd never written anything. And um, there you I then went back possible. to the UK mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I started work because I'd never written anything before. I thought, oh, I've got a deal to write something. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and do it. And I think I, I bashed through it in like four weeks. On a, on a typewriter, Tony. Wow. Not on the a old days. Maybe and I had school. this manuscript. And about four weeks later, my agent called me up in, in the UK and said, um, you know, Golan found out that you've never written anything before. And, and he, he found thought, out by why? By reading the script? No, because he hadn't, read it, hadn't had it in yet. He, <laughs> okay. He, he, actually, I think he called, I think he found out he, from a, the other... The investigating. Other, the other producers who were working for um, Polygram at the time, one of them was a guy called uh, Tim Bevan, a company called Working Title, yeah. and he was an old friend of mine, but we'd had a falling out. So I think that Tim was a little appalled that I'd made a f- deal with Golan, so they'd had a conversation, and I think Tim told Golan, why did wow. you hire Bernard as a writer? He's not a writer. Wow. So suddenly Golan was like, why did I hire Bernard as a writer? He's not a writer. So wow. he, um, they called me up, and they told me they wanted to break the deal. And uh, they, they still wanted to, to make, make the film, the but they wanted somebody else to write it. And I said, well... well um, let's take a look at what I've, I've started. Well, I'd finished it by then. They didn't right. know that. Um, so I said to my agent, well, fuck that shit. I've done it. Uh-huh. So he was like, well, send it over. So uh, sending it over, of course, at that period meant having it typed properly and then FedExing it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It took at least 10 days. Wow. And they had <laughs> already given you an advance? No, they hadn't paid ah, me. Okay. So they didn't own it, right. ostensibly. They wanted to break, but I think my agents wanted to see what it was like before they did anything. So I sent it to them. And um, my then agent, Jay Maloney, um, called up Steve Garland and said, um, Well, it's okay, Steve. You can break the deal. We're fine with it. Well, could you just send a, sign a quick claim saying you've got no um, lien on this film? And he, was, and he suddenly immediately twigged what was going on and said, fucking send it over right now, I own it. And he got angry with them. Wow. And they said, you can't have it without sending a check. So they meshed in the check. They sent wow. over the script. Wow. And then Golan called me. So he gave you a check without seeing a word of a script from well, an because unknown writer. By that, yeah, but by that point, he realized that they'd read it. Yeah, and they so liked now, it. Okay. You know. Uh, okay. So um, uh, then Golan to his credit, called me up about 24 hours later and just said, 
you know, get on a plane while making the movie. Damn. That's a true story. That's amazing. He was, I mean, he was great. To be honest, Steve is a, he's one of the great producers. I mean, he can be a hard ass because like, he's a great producer. He's not an average producer, you know. He's made some great, he made The Revenant for fact's sake. Wow. I mean, he's still, he's, a, a, he's had a wonderful, he's had the wonderful career I wish I had. Mm. But I mean, I think, that, and I think that he, he could be tough and he was tough sometimes in post-production. But I think that he was, everything he did made the film better. And he gave me money to reshoot stuff. That's and, great. And he got the film into wide release. I mean, I'd have to say, you know, mm. you take your hat off to the man. And he, he was, he's one of the, the, real, the real, real good ones. Also Alan Poole, who was the Alan guy Poole, in charge. Do you remember also Alan? Has, of course I do. We talked all the time on set because he went to Yale. And Alan, of course, became a really good director, mm -hmm. too, of TV and Matt was a showrunner and all kinds of things and wonderful intelligent man it was Alan who got us Philip Glass because Alan mm. had worked on Mishima and he knew Philip and I had that conversation with Alan where it's like uh, and that was a big get because you know the first tones of the film is that beautiful Philip Glass music yeah I remember you telling me that Philip wasn't like Totally no, Philip board. hated the movie when he right. said, but, you know, I saw but, Philip two weeks ago because Philip's doing my Samurai movie. That's fantastic. And we're, we're now the best of friends, but, but Philip for years hated Candyman. Right. And then one day his uh, manager... But it was the thought of it, right? Not the actual thing. No, he, he loved the score, but I think he, it made him uncomfortable because, you know, Philip was a high art mm -hmm. operatic composer. And it was still and, that horror and st it, stigma. stigma. And then one day his... Um, his manager showed him how much money he'd made from the ASCAP, BMI, all that shite. Mm -hmm. And it was literally in the millions, I wow. think. And I think, and that, and actually, Philip then, to his credit, called me up and said, Can I work for you again? Because wow. I made so much I like money on the ASCAP and I the like BMI. Millions. He's a really good guy, Philip. And, and I, I actually really believe the, the greatest living American composer mm. in many ways. I remember when I was in New York, his name used to do all the wonderful operatic absurdist theater stuff at like Worcester Group. That's right, like yeah. That. Uh, BAM, Brooklyn Academy yeah, of Music. Yeah. You know, his name was always in the village voice. And the publication is no longer with us, but where I got one of my first gigs when I first arrived really? in New York. Yeah, I went to the classified section. I saw an ad for a theater company called Modern Times Theater. Yeah. We pay you 500 a week. You get to tour. You get to work to your office in Paris. I ran over there, got the job. So I was just in New York about a week and got my equity card because of that. Right. But the work, the work was going into a little church theater space, and we would do two hours of maybe some warm-ups and stuff. We had a play that we were taking on a roll, but the real work was four hours in a phone system calling up, like, random sponsors trying to get them to donate money to keep arts alive. Or, and then they also, they had a hustle where they would say I was unemployed and I would have to go to the unemployment office, get my unemployment check, and then they would compensate, add up to make that 500 a week. You get it? Those are the ways, but at that time, there were all these theater companies floundering around in New York City and in the village. You know, a lot of good work being done. Well, you know, Philip still lives down there. You mm. know, yeah, I saw him in New York, like like I said, a couple of weeks ago, and he's still riding the subway. He's like a proper New York. I, I won't. Yeah, I ride the subway. That's where you study people. That's right. Yeah, you, you get. You know, although nowadays it's more. Everybody's got an iPad to watch a movie for an eight-minute ride, but you know. It's a good character study. That's why I was so upset when they destroyed Times Square. 
Yeah, the they beauty that was that. Times Square, mm. the, you know, the midnight cowboy in Times Square, mm. where you could walk down that block and you would see a hundred different people all wanting ten basic things in life and, what, and how they would go about it. And they should be that. allowed to get it. Well, at least it'll be expressive and let me see that there are a yes. hundred different types of personalities around. Nowadays, it's all Disney or the Disneyfication of Times Square has made everything the same. And everybody walks through more and more like a zombie every day instead of being vibrant and by passionate. The, by the way, you know, in this scene, my favorite thing about it, I think it's already gone past, right. is just that Virginia gets herself a beer out of the fridge. <laughs> Do you, I, I, speaking again of her look, I remember, wasn't there was a black hairstylist, right? Yes. The other film, um, I've run into her Esme. a couple times. What's her name? Is it Esme? Esme. Beautiful. She did a good job, and she yeah. kept it cultural. I forget makeup, though. Um, she was... Uh, I, I can remember what she looks like, she, uh, but I, her name escapes me right this second. Right, right. But, I mean, you, I mean, all... Because it's like a naturalness to all these people and these faces. And then, here you go, great establishing shots, exposing the geometry. This is a good scene. Condo. From every aspect, Tony, it's the got labyrinth. a good... And it builds up to a really classic jump scare, mm -hmm. but a good one, not a cheat one. Um, yeah, we whizzed by the professor, who I know is a friend of yours, the guy that explains the whole mythology. Of oh, yeah, Michael Kelly, yeah. Yes, yeah, who was... You know, they used him in the second film as well. They did. They killed him, didn't they, in the second film? I didn't have him. <laughs> well, Bill Condon did the second film. Yes, he did. So the second film, I, I'll be honest with you, Tony, I've not, I've not seen either of them. I know. The you films. refuse them. Why would you? I'm not interested. But don't you get a piece of it? Uh, they might have paid me some small hey, fee. but Small fee, please. In the millions, just like uh, Philip... This is a good scene, though. I think. Mm -hmm. I think this is a good scene. And again, it's a, he appears in the daytime. Right. He's not lurking in the shadows. You guys, you guys had me on set a whole lot. I mean, yeah. a lot. But I'm not in the film a lot. I don't understand. Well, that's a reason you, for that. You, no, I, I get, I, I get that it works. But it wasn't like I only came in like, like when we first were in Chicago. Mm. You guys flew me to Chicago. I didn't work in Chicago. Didn't you? No, there was nothing in Chicago that I actually did. But you were there? I was there. Because remember, oh, maybe two weeks before we started, you and I hung out and went to the Kingston well, I remember Mines. doing that, yeah. It was great blues and that whole experience. But then you guys, I asked because I wanted to be in Chicago. I wanted to feel what Cabrini was like. But I never worked or shot a day you Never in shot Chicago. a day in a Cabrini, no. You're yeah. right, you didn't. And then so, but I remember when we moved back here to L.A., we were at Occidental. That's right. You guys called me on set every day. And I didn't work. You follow me? I don't know why that was. You know, I was not the AD on that. I get you. So it wasn't my decision. But um, I think they wanted to have me around. It was like, then I would put on the coat, and that's hmm. where uh, Alan Poole and I would spend a lot of time talking. But now all this, up. of course, was a set. None of this, all of this was in Occidental. Mm -hmm. All of this was on stages. Right. All, all these scenes were, were not, not done in a real place. 
which is probably a good thing. No, you you needed to have the I need space. I need the control. And, and, and outside the window, that's a trance light. You can see Chicago out there, but it's not in Chicago. No, of course not. Another great face. Yeah. And it's, you know... And then here we go, deep into the maze. Yes. Deeper, deeper into the lair. But it is true, you don't have a lot of screen time no, in the film. But it's a lot of impact. Do you have more in the second and third one? I, I don't know, I guess. Yeah? Uh, yeah, no, I have less in this one than any other ones. But the more you see them, the less mystery there is. Well, that's the point. Yeah. This is the problem and point with any horror film and, and sequel, which is the, 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 the anticipation of seeing the, the, the horror villain, the monster, whatever, mm -hmm. is always more impressive than bringing them on. And that's why um, both The Exorcist and The Shining have a trick, which is, which is as, as it were, the, the monster or the villain is inside the, the, the victim. Mm. Because in, in The Exorcist, it's inside the little girl. Right. And also in um, The Shining, it's Nicholson it's, becomes uh, the monster. So, right. But what, what happens is once you bring the guy on, mm -hmm. or whoever it is, once you once you once you figured out who they are, whatever they do, they can either kill more people, or they can start becoming a, almost a stand-up comedian like Freddie did, and that's why, you know, you go within three sequels, you're in Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein always, and that's they start bringing up uh, different kind of combinations. Yeah, when they actually pitched to me Candyman versus Leprechaun. I think that would have been great. What? <laughs> no, no, stop. I'm and then, and just recently, somebody came up with Candyman versus the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Okay, I mean, so I'm sorry. Those are jokes. Those if, are like that's no good. If Candyman was going to fight anyone, it would have to be Freddy. Yeah, but but look, that, those films are a mess. Of course they are. Yeah. I mean, he's not a fighter anyway. He's a lover. Yeah, and plus, and you have to call him to get him there. Yeah, it's two different, two different types of monstrosity. He's not a monster. No, he's well, a, he's a no, lover. When I say monster, from somebody's point of view, it is monstrous. Yeah, this man has a hook in his hand. He's got a chest cavity full of bees. Mm. That's a monstrous thing. How he became monstrous it was through acts of love. That's right. Right. Well, he was essentially lynched. Yeah, lynched and. I'm surprised he wasn't castrated. Well, maybe he was. Maybe that's why his hook is so strong and steady. <laughs> I can't imagine having a hive of bees in your in your body <coughs> cavity does much for you, right? It is the sound, it's the allurement. Yes, he's a ghost. Though. Yeah, he's a phantom. He's a ghost. He's a, but, a, yeah, a, an imaginary figment, but grounded in a very in, in reality. Well, you know, I think that... In the history of this country. In, in, well, in, the, 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 there are two original sins of America, which is slavery and genocide of the Aboriginal people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But that's not unique to America, by the way. Well, did I you think, hear, well, like, for example, yesterday at Colorado State University, these two Native Americans came to do a college admission test. Yeah. And some woman, a white woman... Saw the and they were just silent. Saw Native Americans on campus and called the police. Wow! <laughs> because and her reason was, they weren't saying anything. I don't know what they were thinking. 
I don't know what they were doing. Anyway, the police came. It's a whole big stigma because it's the native indigenous people, and you're going to tell them that they don't belong there? Yeah. Okay, but she was caught completely red-handed, and uh, they're even saying they may give them full scholarships now. But they had to go through that moment of indignity. Or like those brothers who were in Philadelphia in the Starbucks. That's right, they were thrown out, right? Yeah, they were thrown out, but now they got an undisclosed law settlement. I mean, what is the future going to be? These kids, these guys were just waiting for a guy to talk some smack, and now they got million plus because some designated barista decided that they didn't fit. So that all goes back to the mythology of Candyman. But it's weird because, like, Candyman has a lot of Southern fans. Okay, this is strong. I found, having done the convention circuit, that horror is huge in the South. When you say, what kind of people in the South? White people? No, I think, no, it's not limited to white, but there's something about the rural Mm. environment and the emptiness and the loneliness that people want to believe. Everybody's loaded to the hilt, right? Everybody's Mm. got more than six weapons. Why? Because they're afraid of the dark, Mm. right? Or they're afraid of intruders. So I remember one time I was, I don't know, let's say I was in Kentucky, and it was his family. I saw them, and they were waiting in line. It finally came up. It was five of them. And if I, if I wanted to make a joke, I'd try not to criticize people's personal appearance, but if I wanted to make a joke and say, this is the Beverly Hillbillies, I could have. I mean, they had the hat and, and, and humble clothing, and they waited, waited, and finally came up, and they said, we love your movies. Really? Right, so they kind of like that. We just love your movies, man. And like That's so interesting. Missing teeth and that, that, I said, no, we watch. I said, do, when you, do you just watch it? And then like talk, we watch it every day. And it really freaked me out because I said, this was a, 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 a segment of our society that loves horror so much that keeps all the bad horror surfacing again and again and again and again. You know how many discs we get at these conventions? Killer, killer doll clowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, midgets, midgets from hell. You know, just stupid shit. People think that you can put a man in the woods and have some teenage girls having a sorority party in a place where they should never be in the first place. You know, that that's somehow scary when in fact it's just uh, frightening. Well, it's just, exactly. Well, it's just it's, a form of pornography, in my opinion. It's well, just, you remember, remember when they had all the whole, what was that term that was going around, snuff? Porn. Yes, yeah, yeah, snuff. No, no, it was another one when... when torture porn. Yeah, something like that, when the whole hostile phenomenon... Yeah, that's torture porn. Yeah. But, I mean, look, I don't judge anything no, anybody wants to make or wants to do because I think that, for me, the thing that's interesting about the horror genre, and it is an interesting genre... It is. ...is that, is that what, what a society is af- afraid of tells you a lot about that society. Yes, it does. And I think that... Why Candyman hit the nerve was that it was actually addressing things in this movie that you couldn't address mm-hmm. in a straight drama. And I think that's what's great about Get Out, which is a film I really like. And do you know that Jordan is a huge Candyman fan? I didn't, but yes. uh, it seems clear to me. Yeah. Do you know Jordan? Yeah, yeah, we've met. I just did a film for the guy that edited Get Out, a new franchise. Okay. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about it here, but it's... Uh, the Gale and Heard is the exact Okay, well, to me, Get Out was not just the best horror film last year, it was the best it was film. Film, documentary. It was flat out best movie. Mm-hmm. Because he did, he used the genre in the mm-hmm. way it should be used, which Intelligently. is to address 
issues that you couldn't tell in a straight drama right. because no one would allow it. Right. But he did it far more powerfully. But also I think what I love most about what he did in that movie is how funny it was. Because mm-hmm. to me, if you can't... Which even made it more horrific. He just made it just better. Yeah. If you can't be funny... Like last night, I took uh, my daughter Ruby, we went to see The Seventh Seal, the Bergman film. Mm-hmm. And I'd forgotten that Bergman just tells stupid jokes all the way through the movie. Did you see that as? Uh, yeah, the Egyptian. Mm-hmm. It's the the funnier your film is. To me, this scene was always broadly comedic. That this well, guy was Stanley. Stanley. Yeah, yeah. Stanley DeSantis. Yeah, great Although actor. He's he's. Is he not with us? I don't think so. I think you're right. I think he's one of the few. Yeah, but um, he was a good actor, and he was he worked with Alan Poole all the time. Uh, this is frightening too. I remember. Uh, it was the one effect, though, that I wasn't completely, I don't want to say on board with, but I didn't completely believe. I mean, I knew the value of it, the floating of oh, yeah, yeah. love, but the practicality of the way we had to shoot it was, it was done for real. disconnected a little for bit. me. Just, just it's not an optical, it's confession. done for real. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it took a lot of energy for me to be able to float. No, I did. Yeah, I had to work up to it. it. Took three days. How did you manage? You managed just first. You were just off the I ground a couple of inches, deep. right? And then you started to levitate, Tony. And then I did that. That it was all about tantric. And then we were all just concentrating very uh, hard, right? The third eye. <laughs> <laughs> but this scene is is one of my favorites. But there you go with that classic movie look you know you mentioned Rita Hayward I think it's more like Lana Turner she has a Lana Turner feel too yeah. she has some 40s movie star thing going mm-hmm. on she was she was and just something she just really had it and it's because of her that the movie hasn't corroded completely in time uh, let's just look at this cut because I want to see if this is the this was the only scene that got butchered by the MPAA and let's just see which version of the cut they have here I'll let you know if it's the R version or the uncensored version. And mm. it's coming up in just a minute. They didn't like the, the violence. Oh, they the, thought there was too much, like, spurting coming out of Stanley's uh, ass as you shoved that hook in his... Well, where else, what else would come out? <laughs> That's what I thought, yes. <laughs> too much bone crunching. But we'll see. Do you have a problem with the sound or you have a problem with the actor? Was I think they didn't like the sound. They didn't like the picture. They, they, yeah. they were like, they wanted to have a go at something, so they made me recut this scene. I'll let you know if it's the real version. Well, you got to remember how much bad horror had come just before we did our thing. I mean, I, I, don't want to, I mean, you know, the drive-ins were still available. Yeah, in the I mean, look, if you're not... So. Hang on, just a second, Tony. <laughs> uh, so far, we're good. Oh. I, you know, you know what I think. Nah, there's not a lot of blood there at all. No, that's the uh, R-rated version. That's the, the, the original had a few more. Yeah, it had a bit more. Just, a, just in when you're so breaking that, him. So does that mean? What does that mean? It means that that's not. There is a I slightly mean, is that the version that's going to be out. I'm sure. I'm sure they still have to use the R-rated cut because he wants to represent it to yeah, the Yeah, but NBA. look at my face, there. There's a lot of, a lot of oil on my face. It, it makes no difference to the movie if you want the truth. Mm. But it's just a slightly different cut. Yeah, but you know that because you're a hands-on director, so you yeah. know what you did and you know what you prefer. I honestly don't care, though. I mean, it's one of those silly things. It, don't, it doesn't really add anything or take anything away in terms of the impact of the scene. 
Um, this yeah, that you know that flyaway you had me. I, every time I see that, I, I kind of can see the gag. It's a gag, yeah. It's I not think, a great gag. Uh, could have been better. It could have. But why did you why say did move on? Because um, I, if I recall, we could only do it twice. It was a little dangerous, I think. We had the fake glass, the breakaway glass. We had the harness. Yeah, and, and it was, I think, it wasn't super safe for you to do it, was it? No, I didn't do it. It was, it was your double, you're right. Yeah, that's right. That's it was brilliant. Right. I mean, you had me, I did it up until, but this, I remember we spent a lot of time on that. This, by the way, was in the old Ambassador Hotel, which is where ah. Robert Kennedy was assassinated that's in right. 1968, no that's longer right. exists. This was used to be the go-to place to shoot this kind of picture. Mm -hmm. And she's now taking the elevator down to the kitchen, which is where Sirhan Sirhan put a couple of bullets in Bobby You know Kennedy. what? I remember seeing it. I remember seeing I've shot there a couple of times, but I think I was, yeah, I don't understand why I was on set every day. Yeah. Why was I on fucking set? Were you I guys have no thought idea, I was going to run away? I have no idea. It doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, like were... 10 minutes of the film, I could have fucking gone on vacation. But weren't you getting paid? Yeah, I was getting paid, but still. I mean, that just shows you 26 years ago, I wanted to be on set every day. Hey, everybody, <laughs> how you doing? What's going on, craft services? How's it going? How's it hanging there, huh? You know? Now I'm a jaded old hard ass. You're like, I'm, bring me in, show me where to stand. Bring me in when stand, you need me and blah, blah, blah. And I'll do my shit, right? Is that what you do? No, Tony, we worked together on Frankenstein. You were amazing. Yeah, that's true. And you sang that song. It was beautiful. I just I just listened to Muddy Waters the other day. Manish boy. But you know... I actually love your performance in Frankenstein. I, I, I just wish more people had seen it. Well, they haven't. it's not over yet. I know. It's, it takes We still forever. have the history of time. That's what Sterling Hayden once told me when I ran into him at an audition. The man had already done Godfather and all of his great films, Asphalt Jungle. Love. And he's sitting in a hallway on a folding aluminum chair and the casting so don't even know who he is. And I'm going, Mr. Hayden... God bless you, man. I mean, how do you not know who this is? And why is he sitting here? If he's right for the role, make him an offer. He's Sterling Hayden. I would have put him in anything. You're right. If you've been in Doctor Strangelove, The Godfather, The Long Goodbye, the Kiss Asphalt the Man's Jungle. Ass. Kiss the Man's Ass. But, right? you know, there's a, you know, but whatever. We can't go down that road. That's showbiz. Tony. That's showbiz. You have a window of expiration. You have a window of, of uh, usefulness, and then it's how gracefully you go out towards the end, either kicking and screaming or showing up at every award ceremony well, there it's is. the five stages of an actor. You know what there they you are? Go. Well, Who, save again for the people out there that who's don't Tony know. Tony Todd? Get me Tony Todd. And we can apply this to horror as well. Get me a younger Tony Todd. Right. Who's Tony Todd? Right. So it goes all the way back to where it was in the beginning. Yeah. And hopefully your journey... Like, I was, uh, I was watching The Swimmer, Burt Lancaster. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great film. I love that film. But anyway, he existed, unlike a lot of people, like Humphrey Bogart had to do a whole slew of character roles before he clicked. Burt clicked from the moment. Whether, whatever you think of him, I'm just talking about his durability. Five decades. I can't even imagine that. Five decades. That's when you could buy property here in Hollywood proper in mm. the 40s when it was dirt cheap and investments and parking lots, you yeah, know, yeah, for the yeah. future. Even in the 90s, it was cheap. Yeah, I mean, honestly, 
If you and I weren't, weren't stupid, we t- should have just bought every single Who says thing I'm that- stupid? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying myself. Yeah. Well, yeah How much was... property do you own? None. Yeah. Well, you should have bought it on in the 90s. I should have. You should have just... Anything. doesn't matter. Like good, bad, ugly. Anything. I wasn't thinking like that. I wasn't... I wasn't either. I wasn't... I didn't... I wasn't an actor slash real estate broker. I was an artist. And uh, The people who I were thought, were smart. Yeah. I don't, I'm not mad at them. I'm and, not either. And there's a new housing crisis in L.A. anyway, and, you know, the bubble may drop any moment. I think Sander bought property. I have a horrible feeling he did, don't I'm you? sure he did, because he's that type of guy. He's very smart. That's very why. smart guy. Think Always thinking ahead. Always thinking ahead. He's been in hundreds, hundreds of, movies. of movies. Hundreds of good he's, ones, he, too. He's uh, Very good ones. He's a chameleon. But if he was sitting at a bar, he might not get spotted he wouldn't but he's right? in but so he's many in movies so many movies once you start talking oh man wow you did, man. yeah yeah so what was he like man is he an asshole <laughs> he knows everybody he's the true kevin spacey he is isn't he yeah you know in terms of six degrees he knows everybody you're talking about kevin bacon kevin bacon i'm sorry kevin spacey's a different thing was, that was an unmentionable person that we're supposed to somehow forget ever existed, right? Despite the fact he's a great actor, right? You know, isn't that sad? It's just a momentary thing, Tony. It won't isn't last. Isn't that sad? It's sad, actually, yes. I, think... I mean, for an actor, if you've already shot a film, and then for you, in a moment of disgrace, for you to be completely cut out of that film, hire someone else who then goes and gets a nomination... It's just something cruel about all that. Well, I think, honestly, I think Ridley just thought for him. Ridley Scott thought it was a great way of publicizing his film, and it was. You think that, well, I think that was an element of that. Right, no, Ridley okay. grew up in advertising; he knows how to sell things. Yeah. Okay. And I think he, he yeah. found a way to get people interested in that movie, yes. and they still weren't interested, honestly. Yeah, they weren't. Did you see it? No. But you know, I thought that was unfair. Hmm. It's like, come on, you know? It's like, we're talking about actors here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kevin Spacey's behavior, apparently. Well, if it's true, it was obviously egregious. I mean, but you have to be able to separate a person from their artistic output. I mean, there's rumors and stories about Alfred Hitchcock for years. Yeah. You know? so you're going to, like, get rid of his library of work? Well, let's talk about Roman Polanski for a Roman minute. Roman Polanski, who they just were kicked out of the Academy. Which, to me, is... Lumped him with Bill Cosby. Hilarious. It only took them 40 years. 40 years, years to do it. <laughs> They didn't exactly get the moral high ground there, did they? That's because the Academy is full of men who are between 80 and 100. They you know what? Get it. When I see things like that, you know, it makes me just think the smart thing to do with the Academy is... The theory I've always had with them and the DGA and all these organizations, BAFTA, I am not a member BAFTA. of any of them because mm. I do not want to belong to any of these corrupt, You're awful organizations. Run? No, absolutely not. No, I didn't know that. And I never will be okay. because you know what, Tony? I don't want to be a member of these organizations. Well, that's why we were shooting in those downtown L.A. conditions when we made Frankenstein and just acted like we belonged there. Yeah, now well, I get it. You know, I don't want to be a member of a club that will accept <coughs> me as a member, you know? Uh-huh. And I think that... Because that says something about your validation. Well, that's right. I just, uh, I just don't approve of any of it. I think it's all wrong. 
So here she is coming into yeah. closer and closer to the home that she belongs in. She to is. The lair. Some of these the mural stuff here, I always love that. I like this bit. Yeah. History is mm -hmm. written on the wall. Mm -hmm. I think that's the point, isn't it? I mean, I think what's great about this commentary so far, Tony, is that we haven't... Thank God we're not discussing what the film means because I think if you don't know... It, I hate that <coughs> so much when you hear, like, somebody sounding off about what they think the film means. I think one of the beautiful mm -hmm. things about a film, and especially about this film, is that once it's made, it leaves your home and it goes off and it has its own life. And, right. And what, it's a ghost of its own. Yeah, what, what, but you know, the film means different things to different people. That's my culturally, point. Culturally, and if I say it means this or that, no, or you say it means this or that, should, that's wrong. You should listen to what people say to you. That's right. Right. Though I would say that when I get to grade this, I will. I, the first thing I'm going to do is make this scene darker because the way it's always been presented on on video, it, mm -hmm. the grading seems wrong to me. And the original prints never had this feel. It feels like a day scene in here, which right. doesn't feel right. I don't so know. this would be the one exception to your whole thing about he comes in the daytime? Yeah, he, she clearly went there at night. Mm -hmm. So I think, and it wasn't lit It wasn't lit this way. I think the transfers have always felt a bit inaccurate. But by the time you see this, we'll have graded it, so that won't be true. Mm. <laughs> she want to kill me now? I think so. Mm. Maybe she just, just wants to have sex pain. with you the way you like it. We don't know how he likes it, okay? Right? That's that's the mystery of this guy. I don't think we know, do we? No. How, how does he like it, Tony? He likes it spinning around, Bernard, which is why I wish you had left the spinning around scene a little longer. Well, it was originally, as case, we know, this is this we had was where he was... home and all this. This is my was, favorite part of the, the freaking movie. I liked it, too. And okay, it was in the movie until... It. Until I didn't cut it. Who cut it? Don't um, mention names. They, 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 they ganged up on me and made me cut it. That's the truth. I, yeah. I, you you know bad. why they wanted to cut it? I have they feelings. said it was too much Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I'm like, so what? Bullshit. You mean too much like a hit movie? Uh, I don't know. I, I, uh, I think that there was a little bit of sexual constraints going on. It was too much. Uh, I liked it. I, like, I loved it. Uh, and he, and, and I was, think audiences love it because it 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 goes places that have never been gone before. Okay, I mean, if, if you follow from that, Birth of a Nation to Candyman, okay. <laughs> but you're right, Tony. And that whole thing of the the miscognition aspect of the story, and the sort of lynching aspect of Candyman's history, mm -hmm. and yes, there was like a real sexuality between them in that sequence. And yes, they and, watered and, it and, down. And here you're, you're forced to look at me. He keeps saying, look at me, okay? And look, yes. I'm a rotting piece of flesh, okay? But I still have conscious And you've been hollowed concept. out by I've the axis, by the, by the... Axis of evil? No, no. Axis of... By the acts of the mob. Yes, 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 yes. And it's interesting how... Taken. The, they tried to take me, but... Yeah. The lynching thing has become an issue again because they've just opened these uh, monuments, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where is the monument? Do you know? You know, I, no, I don't. But I know the numbers of lynchings. And four thousand? No, sir, eighty thousand. Was it? Yes. I read listen, four thousand no. in an article the other day between eighteen eighty and nineteen fifty. No, I think four is low. 
Yeah. And the 80 may be high, but I know it's a, a number that doesn't belong in our world. 4,000 seems pretty and, high to me, if you want the truth. It's more than that. We'll Google, yeah? I promise you. Um, but, you know, towards the end of that whole thing, they were actually making a lynching a day trip. It would be like, you know, vendors set up and cotton candy and... But that's throughout history. It's been that way. It's like the same thing with burning witches. Yes. It's a spectacle. The spectacle yeah, of the death. Spectacle of death. It's something that's that we still need in our society. It makes us feel normal. Those of us that remain. That's know, right. If, if we're not, if our heads aren't screwed on, right? And the horror film has somewhat performs that function. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. Well, just like the people to watch cat videos too, though they they yeah. lost that for a particular subset. Um, but yeah, horror is never going away. People, I mean, I know there's a huge anticipation for uh, the, the, the new Halloween and uh, this project I told you that I'm doing. The new Suspiria got, too. The new Suspiria, which has caused people to throw up and <laughs> lose their minds. But what about a new, new thing? Why does it have to be a, a freaking new remake? Thing. Why, why do we have to regurgitate the same old shite? It's one of the things I... Look, one of the, the biggest achievements, I think, of this film is that it, it introduced a new, a new horror villain. Yeah, you did that. We did that. We did that. You did that. So, Universal. So, Universal, right? They yeah. won't approach you to do one of those bloated, you know... I shouldn't be critical. I don't no. know what they're going to be. No, know that they haven't approached you? To, um, because they, you know, aren't they planning to make all horror villains superheroes in the future or something? Yeah, that, that that idea went by the wayside with the very first Mummy remake they did. Okay, all right. Because so now they're just it, retooling it's a and thinking. Of course it is. You don't amplify something that's not broken. And, and, and going back to your point, it should be, I know there are young writers out there that have come through their own experiences. Yeah. That's why on Netflix, you know, the Strange Things, which is another homage to growing up, but at least they're trying. I, I really <laughs> believe that a horror film <coughs> should be transgressive. And that's why the studios never can completely control what the next big horror hit is. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, Night of the Living Dead, the, the original was a very transgressive movie. I mean, the remake you did was very... Tra also, I think, mm -hmm. has a lot of very good qualities, too. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... So, wow, I did two transgressive movies. Yeah. That's and, of course, cool. the original Texas Chainsaw had, was very transgressive in its yeah. day. And I did think... Did you see Death House? No. Okay. What is that? Mm. A razor head. Well, you brought it up because Gunnar Hansen, who was in Texas... Okay. It's a script that he wrote before he passed away. I don't, and, don't know the movie at yeah. all. The original Razorhead is one of my favorite movies. Very is transgressive that, movie. Is that David Lynch? Yeah, it's his debut. I mean, Lynch wow. is one of the great horror directors. Mulholland Drive, I think of as a horror film. Mm -hmm. I mean, and Virginia was in that, right? No, she was in June. June, sorry. Yeah. Um, this was a very hard sequence to do because the fire is real. Yeah. And it was dangerous. It felt dangerous. You keep saying that dangerous shit. What? Nobody told me that. <laughs> you had me there every day. Danger, danger. Okay. We had so, your coat sprayed with fire retardant. But you remember. You're fine. 
the close-ups were shot separately from like that yeah. was a studio it was a studio yeah it was it was it was very complicated to do but yeah. you remember we had all these different that's set why pieces. you guys had me there and i wasn't working just eating eating and running around meeting everybody on the crew which is good I was I was less jaded then. It'll never happen again. Are you jaded now, Tony? <laughs> no, I'm still happy, but you know what I mean. I'm very particular when I get an offer. So, so uh, it's going to be five days straight, consecutive. I cannot. We you know. Do you think? Do you think people get mistreated on film sometimes, actors? Um, I think that people can mistreat each other. You know, a film set has different departments and is yeah. very. This is this department, this the stunt, you know, the stunties live in a certain type of trailer, the actors live in another. That's true. Um, hair and makeup is where you learn everything, what's going no on in set. Okay. <laughs> you want to know what's going on, and if you're smart, you become friends with hair and makeup. Let me, let me tell you something. As, an, as a director now, I never, ever, ever, ever will set foot in the hair and makeup trailer. I like, if they want to say something to me, they come here. Because if you, the moment you go in there and knock, knock, knock on that hair and makeup, you've, blown, you've blown your movie. Uh, you never go in there. Because you need to be mystery. And I think you, you it should be to, a safe space for the actors. Yes. It's not just gossip. It's just where the actors feel comfortable when they get to where they and are. they can complain if, if they, they need want. to bitch or complain or say whatever. It comes all out. Do it. I've seen fights in hair and makeup, and it all gets resolved. The director never knows. But the moment you go in there, mm -hmm. A, you're slowing them down, and B... It's well, you got your, you know, your second ADs and third ADs yeah. who are constantly coming in the door saying how much longer. And they've already told you it takes another 20 minutes. Right? Exactly. See, you folks out there, making movies is complicated. It's very... Like, it, all these images go by for you in a matter of nanoseconds, but trust me, every scene is at least six hours, five hours, would you say? You know, between uh, the setup and the rehearsal. And, and the takes And there's politics to be played. And you, sometimes, most people, when they're making a movie, are happy as hell because they've just booked a job and they're getting paid, right? That part is fine. But then you have to exist. Just like, I mean, not all those bees were happy, I'm sure. Some of them died. Some of them died. Some of them gave their lives to make this movie. And uh, some of you out there may think that it was all, well, wasn't, wasn't that CGI? No, it wasn't. It isn't. It's our legacy. And you can see me on the left here in this scene. Oh, you're in, you did your Hitchcock moment, eh? It's that. me standing next to Michael. People think, sometimes, some people, idiotic people think that that's Michael. no. I'm the young, thin, handsome guy standing next to him. Wow. I was young back then, Tony. Wow. And I was handsome. You're a baby. I was handsome. Yeah, you're still handsome. I am, by the way. I, I feel that way. There you go. <laughs> That's me there. I have my clothes. You can hang out in the Japanese mountains. Hmm? Hang out in the Japanese mountains. Get your miso soup all day, day long. Food's good there. Of course it is. It's the clean. catering sucks. The catering sucks, but the food. Oh my God! They gave us good. two fucking rice bowls for breakfast. Jesus. Wow. It wasn't good. You couldn't speak up about that. Wow. Well, you can't complain in Japan. It's just not allowed. Uh, just stand there <laughs> and take it. No complaining. You had a great stunt. stunt Actually, department. very, very, very good stunt people. The, the crew was fantastic. Honestly, just wonderful. 
That's great. Very, very good. The end game. So where was what what cemetery is this? Is this in Chicago or No, this was in Inglewood. Ah. This is the one day I didn't work. Was it? <laughs> your your hook worked. Mm. Your hand <laughs> Drop it, kid. Drop it. Drop it. Like it's hot. <laughs> like. Uh reunited at last. At least at last. The one guy. So this yeah. whole ending, yeah, Tony, was a reshoot. You know, were that. you forced to make this? Not forced. Actually, this is actually how the original script ended, uh -huh. and then we had a more poetic ending because um, people yeah, thought fun. the original ending was a little on the nose. And then guess what? We went back to the on the nose version, but it meant. But which one had you shot? You shot the one that the slightly more poetic one. <coughs> so they added this one in at the end. We we went back and did this. We unpacked the set, mm -hmm. rebuilt the damn thing, wow. and shot this. I mean, I know, crazy. I mean, how isn't it? long after principal photography? This was the thing that I did just after Ruby was born, my daughter. Wow. She was born, so it would have been in April. Wow. So and principal shooting was what we months? were over. It was over by Christmas. It was over Wait by December. Maybe it's a little bit in January. Ninety one. Most of the film was shot before the end of 91. And then maybe a week or so in January 92. So then how come those scenes in Chicago don't look 91. colder? It was November 91. It should have been freezing. It was freezing. It doesn't look it. Well, it does. If you look at the water I, in the I, river. I don't feel it. Well, it was and cold. I was there. It wasn't snowy, but it was okay. cold. It was cold. Chicago Yeah, cold. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely Wow, cold. we shot 91 and we came this out This is here. now April 92. So you're saying that we shot over Christmas? No, we took a break over uh -huh. Christmas. But, I mean, we were in that yeah, yeah, window. Yeah. Wow. In L.A. And then maybe we were done by the second week in January. And then I did pickups in April. Wow. And then we did the ADR stuff. And then shortly after the pickups is when the Rodney King riots happened. Uh, so I'd, I'd already tested the movie by then. Did they get nervous about the Rodney King riots? I was supposed to have a, uh, a test screening. Uh, the final test screening was cancelled because of the riots. Well, it was on that night. It was that week, mm. which is two weeks later than... So there's two incidences that have affected the trajectory of Candyman. Because in the second one, I'm out doing publicity when the O.J. story broke. That's right. And but O.J. Tried... is much later. It's 94. Yeah, but that was... I'm telling you that yeah. my publicity tour happened then. But the and film this... was way out by then. No, no. I'm telling you, the second film... Oh, the second film. Yeah, the yeah, second yeah, of course. film. Sorry, yeah, yeah. All right, so I'm just saying that two, you know... Crossroads in history That's right, were yeah. affected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rodney King and OJ. And then I remember I was I felt like I was set up because I was out on the road and all of a sudden I'm getting questions about OJ. Really? Yeah. And I said, I'm not gonna do that. I know I, I this whole thing that you're supposed to have a, a hot take on everything that happens in the news, it's like, whoa, really? Mm. And now especially with all the you know, something like, you know, Bill Cosby, for example. Yeah. You know, Are you happy? Have you ever been it. happier to see the uh, credits roll? Archie Walsh. Look at that. That was me. That's my biggest regret in life, Tony, is I wish I'd been in 
had more, did more acting. I love acting. It's a great release, man. It puts you in it touch is, with your it? feelings and your emotions. I mean, I actually think I'm quite an okay actor too. Mm -hmm. I'd like to do some acting sometimes. Well, here's, we woke up on this Saturday morning to come in here and have a free-form conversation. And as we speak, the oxygen is leaving the room. Well, I'm feeling <laughs> okay? like faint, We're to be both fucking using uh, tissues like it's going out of style. I played with my one little tissue this whole time. Post it's because head. they can't have the AC on when we're recording. That's oh, why. That, oh, that's right. Okay, well, now I'm feeling the melting effect. Exactly. And all of you people who have watched this movie 30 times, keep watching the film because we really like... Uh, I, yeah, you know what? I got a, I got a Candyman residual yesterday. I just, just thought of that. How much was it for? You don't want to know. <laughs> No, I'll tell you, it's 700 bucks. Hey, but for lunch is on you, Tony. It's, it's tw 26 years ago. 26 years ago. Lunch is on you, Tony. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's amazing. Well. You know, I, that was something I meant to do this morning because I woke up a little late. What? It was to deposit my check. I left, forgot about it. That's yeah, a good thing. Well, there'll be more with this. I don't get residuals from this film, you know that. You get other situations. I get. Stop. I get to be known as. No, no, no. You you get you get paid. Uh, everyone gets paid. Everybody gets paid. It's a, just, they call it different things. They do, yeah. You know, just to just to make sure that we're clear that seven hundred Candyman, which is a rarity, usually is around three hundred, four hundred. But at the same day, I got a I did a Charmed episode. Yeah. I got five cents, on the same mailing. Really. You're no longer you're no longer looking at me. You're looking past me like I'm not even here. No, I'm here. We're, we're here, folks. But I'm, I just want you to know, and I've given this man my undivided attention for 90 minutes on a Saturday that is filled with sports possibilities. All right, and I'm going home, and I'm gonna crash and get on my couch and maybe play God of War. But I thank wanted, you so much for coming, Tony. You know, you called me. I looked at. I called. I said, what, what, First of all, I entered your name with B. Bernard Rose. So this morning when I had to call you, I said, Bernard, call Bernard Rose. Didn't respond. I said, call B. Bernard Rose. <laughs> and it did. So sometimes mistakes. But you, I looked at it when I saw it yesterday. I said, I wonder what the hell he wants. And I figured it must be important. It was important. I said, maybe it's an offer. It was an offer. No, no. This is not an offer, sir. <laughs> <laughs> This is an offer. But I said, okay, well, let me take it. And if you notice, I said, hello? And you said, right to the point. Tony, I'm, I'm, you know, whacked out of my mind with this stuff, and I need somebody here. Thank God you're here. To be a sidekick. Otherwise, I would have sat there talking about the dullest shit. Yeah, and they would edit a whole lot of it. But here we are. We rolled off into the sunset. No editing, please. No editing. Just put it out like this. I love it. Well, maybe take out some of those offensive statements. No, no, put them on. <coughs> We're Propaganda. Done. Goodbye.